Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to this week's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Super exciting guest joining us today with a, a really interesting sales background, community builder. Amy Rahovchek is a revenue human for life, raised by a sales VP, sold for a decade, finishing at a little-known company called Thomson Reuters. And from there, she transitioned to sales enablement, which was super early in the concept of sales enablement, which is still in its early days and built out two different departments. Uh, these days, Amy is a mental health advocate. Surprise why I want her on the show. <laughs> and really on a mission to learn how to sell ideas. How do we help people transition and take control of their mental health? She currently hosts an awesome podcast, The Revenue Real Hotline. She is the head of the SalesCast community, where she teaches sellers how to find their voice and use the podcasting medium to connect with buyers. And she's also championing Andy Paul's new book, sell without selling out, hashtag Mm. team human, Uh, which if you didn't listen to Andy's episode, you should because he is just a a wizard and his new book is going to be fantastic. So Amy, super grateful you're joining us today and welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here, an honor, in fact, and uh, listeners, thank you as well. Nice to meet you remotely. I I am pumped that they're going to get a chance to listen to you as we've had a a lot of conversations recently. I think there is a wealth of knowledge. And so I I always love starting and understanding. Wait, can I have that in writing, Frank, please, Jordan? (laughs) Transcription, we we should. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay, good, good, good. So we we should have it. Uh, But I would love to start with understanding something maybe early in your life that impacted how you sell or how you lead and, and interact and engage with others. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's. There are so many things, but I think, so I was raised by, by a sales leader, as, as you just said, and I, I put that in the bio for a couple of reasons. One, I, in many ways, it was very fortunate in that the stigma of the profession, right. was not something that I ever had to deal with. Right. And, and also I saw modeled for me, the right way of leading a sales team. Right. And so, um, yeah, but anyway, so my dad, <laughs> he, when, when I was a kid, right. When we were little kids, I had two younger sisters and he would ask each of us at the dinner table every night, when did you feel butterflies in your stomach that day? And obviously this is probably an age appropriate and gender appropriate analogy. Uh, however, it did the trick because we were then asked to give a story about the, t- the moment that day. And if we did not have a story to report, then we were softly or subtly reminded sometimes through silence that all growth takes place outside of your comfort zone. And I like, I don't, I guess you could look at the results, like a, what kind of, what did, what does it take to make somebody turn out like that, like that crazy person over there? So that that's a piece of it. However, I learned how to interpret the feelings of discomfort differently, very young. And not only did I learn how to interpret them differently, I learned how to seek them out, right. And to measure the, my own performance that day based on, you know, how far outside of my, or if I stepped outside my comfort zone and then how far I went. And so 
yeah, then multiply that by 35 plus years of experimenting. <laughs> this is really interesting. I love this question. I, I think questions can bring so much power to our actual learning. I think hearing somebody say something is really powerful, but asking a question is where learning really happens. And I'm curious, when I hear this butterflies thing, is this more of a being uncomfortable motion? Or is it more of uh, when you felt like you were doing like well and, and doing really good? No, it was, it was uncomfortable. So one of the mm-hmm. things I think that, so I, I don't have children, but I'm a proud Aunt Amy. Um, looks like girls, my three girls. Um, so my sisters are, you know, they, they've done their service to the world. <laughs> by, <laughs> and my parents for that matter. But anyway, so um, they do a much better job teaching kids. Like uh, I remember when Allie was, who's like eight now, but she was in whatever kindergarten and they had these they were trying to teach about the feelings of like warm and fuzzies and like cold pricklies right that was the term and so when you did something to someone else and they told you like oh that made me feel cold prickly right i was trying whatever so better job when i was a kid when we were you know when <laughs> walking to school in the snow uphill both ways barefoot um <laughs> and driving to your sales meeting through with tom toms or MapQuest printouts um it, we weren't that that evolved as a society yet. And, you know, we certainly still have a far way to go, but the point is, and to your question, it was about the uncomfortableness. And so that analogy, even just in framing the concept in the positive, like a butterfly, a pretty butterfly in your stomach, like, so, uh, and all that's obviously by design, but yeah, it was designed to help us to one, be present with that discomfort, right? Recognize when it's happening, label it for what it is and interpret it differently, right? Not be afraid. Um, And we do that by selling the value, which is you're going to grow, you're going to learn. That's where your progress lives. Go be over there. Interesting. I I love that. I think there is just so much power in being uncomfortable. I, I know I've played small. I just talked to a longtime friend who was like, yeah, you've been playing small for a while. Like go play big, be bold, get out there. And I don't think I had to dance with a lot of discomfort early on. That was definitely not something that was coached for me. And I think we are starting to see the the rattling of like our education system and how do we bring more understanding of emotions mm-hmm. in with children. I just shared the the feelings wheel with some folks recently that was oh, new you did me. in the Slack group too for a sales cast. Yeah, that was great. It was brilliant. <laughs> It's like, how do we actually start understanding and identifying these emotions to build awareness and how we feel? Because most of us are just in this constant, like, good, fine, okay. And that's not really a feeling and an emotion. And, you know, getting insecure and neurotic (laughs) and emotional. Yeah. Can I add on this? Because I wanted to say this when you shared the, this feelings wheel in the, in the podcast mentals channel, um, when I was at Brookhaven, right, which was that inpatient facility, uh, it was beautiful, right? Absolutely gorgeous. Hills of Tennessee, like, I, and I've got a PhD, right? And all things, um, you know, headspace. But when I first got there, right? And they, it was a mix of like group therapy, individual, all, all this stuff. and like, whatever. And then some, like I was being taught how to cook, right? Because so I can prepare meals for myself, whatever. So it wasn't all awful. Um, but The point is that I'm sitting in my first group therapy session and the counselor hands out 
um, a piece of paper to everyone. And, and you could just sense the going through the motions, right? So this was something that happened at the beginning of every meeting. Okay, check, got it. But I get the paper and I look at it and on it is front and back, right? All the names of emotions. And not only, it wasn't just like willy nilly, they were grouped in categories, right? So it was anger and then 10 different versions of anger uh, or variations or whatever. And I remember holding this paper and watching everybody go around. And the first thing that they had to do was tell how they were feeling right then. And like looking back on it, like, let's be serious. Like I was fucking pissed off. I was frustrated. I was mad to be there. I was not happy about being there. Like I like work, like whatever. So that was where I was at. Like I'm really, really mad, but I could not, I was so far removed from any kind of interaction with my own feelings that I could not pick one of these words at all. And it was such an aha moment for me. just to, I mean, there was a bunch of them in, at Brookhaven, but yeah, we, we are, we've all been raised in a society. If you're in the States, right. Or really Western societies, we, we don't talk about, feeling, first of all, they're dirty things and, or like a a feminine trait, which by the way, gentlemen, we all have them. Like, this is a fact. Uh, Okay. But anyway, so we just, we're, and it's just a massive like skill gap. And so um, this is why I love having these conversations, Jordan. And, and I respect so much what you're doing because, you know, there's, well, you and I could talk about the, the power of what it, what happens when you label that feeling or you label that cognitive distortion, right. And you're able to differentiate like, Hmm, anxiety and excitement are really kind of similar. Am I really nervous about this meeting or am I just really excited? And so like, there's no words to describe these feelings until you actually go through them yourself. But yeah, make no mistake, friends. Step one, get present. Step two, define how you're feeling right now and, and go from there. There is so much power in that awareness. And I really appreciate you sharing that story because this is something that I find so many people only get to when they feel they're broken or they're at the bottom and, and there's so much opportunity to, to get in front of that. And which is why I'm so bummed that I didn't have this training when I was in school to understand my emotions. And when I label something, I actually can now have some power over it and not only having awareness of, okay, here's where I'm at, but now I can understand where I want to go. And for men, you know, I, to your point, like, oh yeah, like crying. I, I had a conversation with a, a fellow man the other day who was like, I've really struggled to cry most of my life, but recently had some experiences that have cried like I've never cried before. And so much of us, so much of what we do is just hold on to these things and bottle them up mm-hmm. to a breaking point. And I think that's why we see stress and burnout and anxiety and depression and suicide being so rampant, especially in this, you know, in America yes. and so many people that I know and in this profession where it's hard, it's hard, it it's harder. Good. Yeah. Well, we on to it. I mean, I think there's a bunch of things here. Like there's a about a million reasons why the trains will go off the tracks in any given instance. And any one of those reasons will do. For me, I misinterpret and now I'm talking specifically sales, right? And so I think in 10 years, you and I have spoken about this, I think, but in 10 years, it'll be uncommon, I believe, to not have a professional psychologist 
available on the, your sales floor, right? Like, like riddle me this, Batman, how hard do you think Bill Belichick had to be convinced to hire a sports psychologist to come and work with the, with the Patriots? I mean, come on, right? These, these are the, your elite corporate athletes. And let me tell you, right, what they're going through on a regular basis. We don't, we don't give enough credence to that. Um, that said, I misinterpreted something that I read Right. Because in many ways, right, where we learn, we teach ourselves how to do this profession, given the current state of our, our uh, sales floors, which is a conversation for a different day. But I read something and I guess I just I misinterpreted this idea. And so my my goal was early on in my sales career that I was not going to engage with the negative emotions. <laughs> the anxiety, the stress, the fear, the reject, like whatever. I just wasn't even going to I wasn't going to they weren't going to be a thing for me. <laughs> and I, in many ways, like I got very good at it. Right. And so I was reading about habits and changing behavior, right. Oh, like all of us that are aspiring to get mastery or develop mastery in this profession. Um, and so I was running these things on myself. And so, but the challenge where I went wrong, where my, my logic was flawed is that there is no such thing as aspiring to ice out only negative feelings. When you aspire to ice some of them out or not feel them, you ice them all away. And little by little, year after year, right? This is exactly what I did. And until like my emotions absolutely fucking revolted. And at that point, it was like I had no tools because I hadn't been interacting with them. And now what another thing I want to point out there is that one top performance is not indicative of health. Right. One of the ways and challenges with mental health is that we frame it as a it's like a the absence of symptoms does not equate health. OK. And mm. so there's a big delta between someone that is experiencing symptoms. Right. It's gotten to that point, which is probably most of us at some point we can all relate to this um, versus, you know, the what wellness truly is and what mental health, mindfulness, headspace, stoicism, resilience, uh, whatever, whatever name you identify with, it's all the same shit. It's right. It's a proactively taking control of your mentals. And I would highly encourage anybody that is hoping to make it long term in this profession to prioritize this, because not only will it make your life better and the lives of those around you better, right? Because you think you're the only one that is affected by the swings of this profession. Look at your kids, look at your spouse, right? Look at your siblings, right? And I'm, I'm just starting to talk about the relationships that I put in jeopardy while I was learning how to manage this and the, my own neurodivergent brain on top of it. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop ranting here, but you got me going here, Jordan. <sighs> Jeez. It's thanks to help from listeners like you. This podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.